Let's finish up our series, This Little Light. We've been talking about how do we as believers let our little light shine in an often hostile world. Because we are the light of the world. We are the ones who share the truth of God with the world. We are to let our light shine. We know the little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine, which at Good Hope's Got Talent, I'm gonna play country gospel style, which is the way I learned the song. And it's fantastic. So if you want to get some rocking country gospel, a little bit of a, a little bit of funk in there too. It's you know a little eclectic, but it's going to be fantastic. This little light of mine. That's next week, three o'clock, right here. We'll we'll have opportunities to help build the water storage tank for New Vision Children's Home in Jamaica. At the same time, it's going to be fantastic. Um, but we are to let our little light shine. And we, if you've been a Christian, you've probably heard the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. We're supposed to do that. We need to be able to do that well. It's our responsibility. And so we've talked about a whole bunch of things through this series, like I need the light in me. If I'm gonna let my light shine, I need the light of Christ in me. I need to keep the light of Christ in me because this world is tough and it can get us down and we can get jaded and depressed. And so we need to keep that light in us. So we need to put on the full armor of God. You know, the armor is there. Let's put it on. Um, We've talked about things like uh, understanding what day it is, that today is the day of salvation. Do you know, we live in in a very special period of time where any human being on the planet can have their sins forgiven, have the right to be a child of God, and a co heir with Christ just for the asking. This is a glorious time. This is the time of God's favor. It's a wonderful time to be alive. That time is not going to last forever. The day of judgment is next. How we take advantage of the time of God's favor is very, very important. So we know what day it is. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. We talked about Jesus being a friend of sinners. That when he saw someone who was making bad choices, he connected with them, he valued them, he listened to them, and he invited them into a better life. That's how Jesus dealt with people who were outside of the faith. And then we talked about Jesus not a friend of religious dysfunction. So Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was not a friend of religious dysfunction. We went through the woes in Matthew 23, where Jesus just publicly berates the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I mean, this was out loud with everybody there, amazing stuff. And one of my favorite verses that's going to come up today in our, to- our topic for today is Matthew 23, 24. Jesus said to them, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What does that mean? Well, blind guides, of course, that means you're leading people, but you don't even know where you're going. And he says you strain out a gnat. Little bitty things that maybe have a little bit of importance. I mean, if you got a gnat in your, in your drink, wouldn't you pick it out? Sure. But if you swallowed it, it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But try swallowing a camel. You know, camels are icky and bad. And so if you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel, it means that little things you make a big deal about, but big things... You, you goof up. You get the big things wrong, even though you're, you're paying real close attention to the little things. So don't miss the big things for the little things. And so we talked about that. Last week we talked about Jesus saying that we need to let our deeds show, that we need to show our good deeds to the world so that people would praise our Father in heaven. And so... Letting your light shine as good deeds. 
That's in Matthew 5, 16. And so we talked about deeds, three important things with, with deeds because people have had some trouble with that. It's okay to let people see your good deeds, but don't be a hypocrite, right? It's okay, and besides, if you're a person of character, if you're a person of inner strength, if you're a person of faith, true faith, it's gonna show itself in your life. You don't have to try to, you know, stand up on a pedestal and see how much faith I have. That's hypocrisy. It will show. So don't try to manipulate people by your actions, but it's okay to let people see our character and who we are and good deeds in that sense. Another thing, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. We're not saved by being born in... uh, We're not saved by being born again into a new life where we make a positive difference in this world, but we are saved to being born again into a new life where we make a positive difference in this world. So that doesn't justify our belief. We are saved by grace through faith to a new life of good works. And then the last one uh, that we talked about last week is how believers behave affects how other people see God. How believers behave affects how other people see God. And last week we talked about that from an individual perspective. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. This week we're going to talk about it from a corporate sense. Because it's not just me letting my light shine as an individual. It's the greater body of Christ, the church, letting our light shine. We are seen by the world in a particular way, and so we need to act right as a group to be able to let our light shine in that corporate sense. So let's pray, and we'll get into our final episode of This Little Light. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for your truth. I thank you that you don't leave us down here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Help us to see what you've got for us this morning. Lord, each one of us is dealing with different things. We're going through uh, different stuff, and so we need a different touch from you, and I pray by your spirit you would touch each one of us with what we need right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I talked about apathy being one of the most, uh, one of the biggest problems, apathy being one of the biggest problems in the church today. Trying to motivate Christians to care about serving Jesus is really a big problem. Apathy is an issue. This may be second, though, to the thing we're going to talk about today, which is divisiveness. Divisiveness, disunity, squabbling and fighting inside the body of Christ. That is also hugely devastating to the purposes of God. When God's people don't work together, it destroys the work of God. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be unified, standing together for Christ. Amen? As believers, we are called into a family to work together. Now... Uh, when believers work together, we are better than when we're separated, when we're alone. We are better together. Did you know that Jesus prayed for us? Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for us 
in Cloquet in 2016, 2,000 years ago, he prayed for us. Let's see what that prayer is. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So we are the those who will believe later. That's us. What does he pray? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How unified is the group of people who believe in Jesus supposed to be? Complete unity, just like Jesus and the Father. That's pretty unified. Does that describe the reality that we live in? No. Which brings us to Matthew 5.14. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That city on the hill is the church. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Yes, people will notice you as an individual, but also people will notice the church as a whole. Do you have an opinion of the church or Christianity? Do you have an opinion about that? You probably do. You're kind of looking scared right now because I'm talking loud, but that's okay. I'm, I'm a nice guy. That city on a hill cannot be hidden. The church will show itself for who we are and people will see it. If we are dysfunctional and goofy and and yucky on the inside, they'll see that. And that's what Jesus was reacting against in Matthew 23, is the religious establishment was dysfunctional and icky. Boy, it sure is great that Christians are all set now and have the right heart and do everything right. We're still... We're still messing things up, but the fact of the matter is, when we fail God by not working together, then that affects people who are outside of the church in a negative way. If we stand together and we show the love of God to one another, that represents Christ in the right way. And so we have a responsibility to let our light shine individually and corporately. We need to let our light shine. I think with regards to this topic, Christians have been swallowing camels for hundreds of years. We've been straining out gnats and figuring out why we don't like other people and then swallowing the camel of divisiveness, swallowing the camel of division, pushing out what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35. Let's read this. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Leave that one up, we'll go to 35 in just a second. As I have loved you. How has Jesus loved you? Did he love you when you were obnoxious and messed up and running from God and denying God? 
and hurting people. Did he love you then? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you love one another, all men will know. We will show this world things about God by how we treat one another. Inside congregations, from congregation to congregation, from denomination to denomination, how believers treat other believers, how we either stand together or how we separate will reflect on God in this world. We need to show God to be who He truly is by standing together with one another. Now that prayer that Jesus prayed in uh, John chapter 17 that, that those who believe the message in the future would be one to demonstrate who God is, that we would be one. There's an amazing thing about that prayer that Jesus prayed. Let me ask you this question and think about it for just a second. Who answers that prayer? Jesus prayed that those who believe the message would be one. That they would stand together, just like the Father and Son, that we would be united, complete unity. Who answers that prayer? I tell you, you and I have a role in it. We are the ones who answer that prayer. Too many times, Christians have said no to that prayer from Jesus. No, we will not be unified. No, I will not love them like you loved me. They burn candles and wear robes. Forget it. Feel that for a moment. We can't swallow the camel of divisiveness and division because we've got little piddly things that we're focused on. We can't strain out gnats and swallow this camel. Now, before we get too far down this road, I want to talk about my own personal battle with divisiveness and a critical spirit so that you can see where I'm coming from. Because I think this is is fairly pervasive and there's a couple of important dynamics to understand. But I want you to know where I've come from first. So, I grew up in a a non-Christian home. I've mentioned that several times. And I'm just going to tell a little bit of my story and how my heart was affected through my coming to Christ in my early years as a believer. So, uh, I didn't believe in God, but I was raised by a wonderful family. Parents are great. Um, extended family is great, wonderful, wonderful people. They would truly give you the shirt off their back if you needed it in a heartbeat. I mean, I grew up baking cookies for every funeral and taking care of old ladies and, you know, uh, taught that by people who don't believe in God. And so I grew up in a wonderful home, but just not a believing home. And then, uh, and I didn't believe, I believed what I was taught, you know, I didn't believe in God. And then uh, time passed and a a guy asked me if I was a Christian and I'm like, uh, and so he's like, you want to know? 
you know, you want to know more about that? And I'm like, well, I guess, because if God was real, that'd be good information to have. And so he's like, all right, uh, how about you start reading the Bible? I'm like, all right, sounds good. So he gave me the book of Matthew in a green, you remember those green living Bibles back in the day? Got a green living Bible. And I uh, went in the book of Matthew, and I got to Matthew 7, 7, and it says, um, all who ask, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And I thought, I can apply this verse to the scientific method. If it says that he who seeks finds, if you knock, the door will be opened. Then if I seek and I find, I'll know. If I seek and I don't find, I'll know that verse is garbage. And so this can't be true. And so I'll be able to find out. So I'm like, I'm going to put that verse to the test. And so one night I'm driving home. It's midnight, driving a truck back home. And I thought, let's find out. So I prayed a prayer. First prayer I ever prayed. I prayed, Lord, there's a guy, he gave me a book, he says it's your book. In that book, it says, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. And I'm knocking. And as I'm driving, I prayed that sincerely, I mean, I wanted to know. As I'm driving, I saw two hands appear in the sky, in the night sky, like this. And they opened up like that. And ruined my life. I mean, I was fine. I was content. I was happy. You know, I was on a nice track going to a private college. And, you know, I was was going where I was supposed to go. And now I find out there's more to this than what I thought. And people I love don't know Jesus. And that's a bad thing. And I desperately wanted to connect people to God that didn't know God. And I started digging into the Bible. I started studying philosophy. I wanted to figure all this stuff out. I wanted to learn it so that I could show it. And it was more difficult than what I thought. But as I dug through the Bible, you know, I got to Acts chapter 9 where the Apostle Paul has his road to Damascus experience. And I'm thinking, oh, this must happen all the time. You know, like it happened to... I I had a road to Emmaville experience and this person had a road to Damascus experience. You know, that's pretty interesting (laughs) stuff. And... uh, Uh, Then I got to Romans chapter 9 and I saw the heart of the Apostle Paul and I knew I shared his heart. And here's what it says in Romans 1 through 3. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is Paul. This is a pillar of the church. This is, this is a guy who talks about the joy of the Lord and the peace that passes all understanding. And he says, I have unceasing anguish and great sorrow in my heart. How can he have that? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Paul saw those he loved, those he grew up with, those who were his friends and family reject Christ. And it broke his heart. And I knew that feeling. And it broke my heart. And then something bad happened. When you have powerful emotions those emotions can be steered 
but it's hard to get rid of them. You know what I'm saying? And so as a 19, 20, 21 year old, the only way I knew how to steer emotions was to push them into hate. If I had strong emotions, I could get angry, but I couldn't face other emotions. It just wasn't something that was in my wheelhouse. So what I did was I took that great sorrow and unceasing anguish at looking at a lost world, and I said, it's the church's fault. It's their fault. They're the ones who are supposed to be telling people about Jesus. They're the ones who have made the Alpha and the Omega into a cartoon character. They're the ones who have taken Almighty God and made Him a fool in front of this world so that any reasonable human being would reject Him when it's actually true. And I was very angry. And that anger built over years to where I thought... This is true. And I can't even talk about it with my friends because they think it's ridiculous because of what they've seen of Christianity. And I was violently angry. And I mean, I dug in and I studied and I did everything I could, but my heart turned to darkness instead of compassion. And so, is that the same heart as Jesus? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I'm thinking, these goofballs, you know, they've, they've ruined everything. And then I ended up at a Promise Keepers convention in, the, in Minneapolis at the Dome, way back in the day. I don't know if anybody went to those things, but it was 65,000 men at the Dome having themselves some church at this Promise Keepers convention. And they decided that they would have a time where all the pastors would stand up and we'd clap for them. And I'm thinking, it's their fault. They're the ones steering this ship, you know, and it's going the wrong direction. I'm not clapping for them. But I'm stuck here, so I'll wait it out. You know? And so I decided to wait it out. And they had the people stand up. And it was just this crazy thing. So a guy stood up there, and I I recognized him. He was a guy I stood behind in the hot dog line. He seemed like a nice guy. And there was a a guy and his son that stood up over there. And I, I remember passing them in the hallway, and they were laughing with each other. And they seemed like nice people. And I'm thinking, are these the evil monsters that are destroying everything You know that I've got this deep hate in my heart for? And something happened to me. And that, that anger that I had, it, it, it was like a bucket of cold water that I could feel in my chest. You know, you can feel emotions physically. I could feel that. And it was like the bottom of the bucket just fell out and I could feel this like fall out of my chest. And uh, a compassion from God hit me. And by now, everybody's cheering. They're standing up. And there's a bunch of noise. And I, don't, I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on. But it was loud. And, uh, uh, and it, it just hit me like, oh, my. And the, the, uh, uh, I started to say, oh, my. And I, and I started to talk. But it was not English. And I was like, ah! You know, that I just sat down. I just, somehow I was standing up. And I just sat down like, what in the world is going on? 
Well, let me tell you, I received a heart transplant that the Bible describes as baptism in the Holy Spirit on that particular day. And now that divisiveness, that darkness that was in my heart is gone and I can work together with the most goofed up Christian and help them take a step forward into doing a little bit better. And I, I, I can be used by God now because of a change that happened in my heart. To go from a critical spirit, from divisiveness, to love and compassion. And so I say this from personal experience. I see two main areas that cause divisiveness and division in the church. And they are these two things. Spiritual immaturity or weakness. Spiritual weakness and immaturity. And the devil's schemes. The devil fooling us into hating the wrong people, into thinking our fight is against flesh and blood, into thinking that, you know, some other church is the enemy, being fooled by the devil, or just being immature and spiritually weak. Those are the things that create division in the body of Christ. To deal with the first one, I want to read from the book of Romans. I, uh, I don't normally do this, but we're not going to put the verses up on the screen. I'm just going to read them, and I want you to just listen. It's going to take about 3 minutes and 15 seconds. I timed it out. That's very important. We've got football to watch. We're going to deal with things properly. But the game, isn't, the game isn't until later, so I can go long. And you guys, you know, the church doesn't turn into a pumpkin until noon, so I got, I got me 20 minutes. So I'm not going to take that long. You know, I'm, just a few more minutes, but you're gonna, three of them are going to be reading in the book of Romans. The thing about going long is people enjoy it at the time, but then they don't come back the next time. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, time discipline is very important. I'm okay with that, even though I am uh, Pentecostal. So there you have it. Come on, we're going to let the Spirit lead until this time. All right. <laughs> don't strain that gnat out, all right? Come on. Don't. We're going to, don't swallow the camel. All right, here we go. So just listen and let the word speak to you. Romans chapter 14. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Don't judge others. Help them out. Primary forms of Immaturity, spiritual immaturity, spiritual weakness are pride and self-centeredness. When we yield to pride, when we yield to self-centeredness, that's just spiritual weakness. It's just immaturity. And unity requires maturity. The second thing is the devil's schemes. In 2 Corinthians, we're not going to read the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it describes unforgiveness as a scheme of the devil. That to not forgive someone is to be duped by, to be fooled by the devil into thwarting what God would otherwise do. We need to not be fooled by the devil. I was fooled into thinking that it was the leadership 
within Christianity that was the problem. The problem is the devil. The problem is ignorance. The problem is, is people not knowing Jesus. The problem isn't the people who are trying, but who are still imperfect. They're not the problem. So we don't want to be fooled by the devil. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close here in just a minute. But I want to give you the key to being able to function inside the unity of believers. Because it sometimes can be tricky. I'm going to give you the key. And I'm going to describe it in normal English. Then we're going to read the verse. Then we'll talk about it just a little bit more. And it's simply this. Don't make it about you. It's just that simple. Don't make it about you. I have trouble with being unified and loving people as Jesus loves them if I'm always thinking thoughts like, well, I would have done it this way. Well, I prefer this. Well, really for me, I need it to be like that because I want this. When I make it about me, it destroys unity. Here's how Jesus put it in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Then he, that is Jesus, called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. We lay down our lives, we pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus. Laying down your life means it's not about you anymore. It's about that person who needs a hand up. It's about that person who doesn't know the Lord. It's about that church who needs some encouragement and some prayer. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about me. If we can lay ourselves down and not get caught up in pride, not get caught up in self-centeredness, and we can be wise enough to not be fooled by the devil and be brought into his schemes and tricks then we can stand unified together and that city on the hill will shine bright and this world will see the glory of God. So let's pray together as a group. Then I'll open up the front for personal prayer and let's believe God to be able to stand together to do our part in answering the prayer Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, that we would be one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and we honor you. We know your ways are good. Your ways are great. Your ways are mighty. Your ways are righteous. Your ways are powerful and glorious. And your ways call us to unity. Not a unity based on agreeing with the same theology and all the details. A unity not based on church style and how things go. A unity not based on the demographics of who happens to come to what particular church. Lord, none of that stuff. We stand being loved by you and loving those who you love. We stand unified through your love. So Lord, let us each one know we are loved by you. And Lord, let us each one know that the others are loved by you. And Lord, let us love one another as you love us. 
Lord, help us to stand together in love. I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. I pray, Lord, that we would be growing and maturing and getting stronger as we follow you and that we would have wisdom to be able to see the devil's schemes and not be fooled. Lord, let our light shine corporately as we stand together for your purposes. Let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.